0: Thank you. Our children are dismissed through that door over there for their catechism class. Parents, if you'd like the things of Christ put more on their level, that's a great place for them to be. Our scripture reading this morning is Revelation 21, 3 to 4. As you're finding it either in your Bible or the bulletin, I will admit this is a strange, perhaps, text to have for Christmas. Christmas. Why have I chosen it? The coming of Jesus born as a baby into this world sets off a series of critically important events. The ultimate culmination of which is what we read about in this text. So we don't have the fulfillment of this text without Christmas. But Christmas starts... The coming of Emmanuel to be with us and ends what we're going to read about right here. That's why I chose it at Christmas time. Revelation 21, 3 to 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be among them and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. A few minutes ago you sang... Away in a Manger, very sweet hymn. It's actually a prayer that Jesus be with us by our bedside and with our children. And you used these words. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Do you believe what you just sang? I don't. Jesus didn't cry? Really? Why do we feel compelled to assert that? Let's give the hymn writer, I think it's anonymous, the benefit of the doubt. When he supposed that Jesus in the cradle didn't cry, what he meant was this. There were no sinful tears shed from the tear ducts of the Lord Jesus Christ. No crying out of self-pity, born of unrighteousness, or discontent with God. If that's what the hymn writer means, by all means, Jesus never cried. Not for a second. In 33 years was there a sinful tear that dropped from the peerless, perfectly righteous body of the Lord Jesus. But, see there's a but or we don't have a sermon. But in as much as crying is human and Jesus is as fully human as he is fully God, it is certain Jesus cried either as a baby, from hunger pangs, diaper rash, as a kid, scraping his knee, as an adult. Jesus crying helps us understand why he weeps with us. And it makes sense of every one of our tears. They will, in fact, be wiped away we want to assert then in the next few minutes the absolute importance and beauty and glory of the crying of Jesus. So let's work it this way. Number one, why do we cry? We cry for lots of reasons. On the one hand, we cry when the world is not right. Pain, loss, Sorrow, I burst into tears the moment I heard my mom had terminal cancer. Just burst into tears. I've wept more tears than anything in my life ever. one of my child's lives. I've uh, listed a couple examples for you from Scripture. Psalm 37, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, here is Israel in captivity far from home, knowing that our sin against God has exiled us from our homeland, and it was a cause of weeping. The psalmist says, my tears are my food day and night. It sounds like. Not only is there crying all day long, but of such agony of soul that his appetite is lost, and all there is is tears. Have you been so sick over your sin or a situation that you couldn't eat and you could barely stop crying? Acts 20, Luke tells us that Paul on his way back to Jerusalem, wants to meet again with the elders of the church in Ephesus. He calls them to himself, and he recounts the nature of his ministry among them in a lot of detail. It's a beautiful insight into the contours of the ministry of Jesus, among which Paul says this, when I was among you, I served the Lord with all humility. He heard my sermon series on humility. That's why he served them with all humility. And with tears and trials, what marked Paul's time ministering in Ephesus, among other things. Tears. Maybe sitting with women who struggle with infertility. Maybe sitting with women who longed to be married but weren't married. Maybe couples had, were having strife in their relationships. Who, who knows? Individuals battling sin and failing, weeping with them in in his counseling office. Ministry with tears. At the end of his time with them, it's time to say goodbye. And the text tells us they realized they were never going to see Paul again on this earth. And Acts 20 verse 36 says they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul. It must have been kind of embarrassing be around. Here's Paul, all the elders, hugging him, weeping out loud. An expression of sorrow. Sorrow. We're never going to see this guy again on the earth. That sounds like really legitimate crying. We cry when things aren't right in the world. What is the thing most wrong with the world, beloved? That should move us to tears. What is most wrong with this life? God is not receiving the glory he deserves. Neither from his creatures or from me. That ought to move us to tears of bitterness. That the living God is not worshipped, thanked, Honored for who he is. I mean, silly example, our culture's fashioning of Christmas. Come on, doesn't get it. Christmas is about the glory of God in Christ, not all this tinsel and this and that and, you know, the spirit of Christmas. No, it's the glory of God. We should weep in a sense that we just don't get it. We secondly cry when things are right in the world. A loved one lands at the airport after a 10-hour journey from the continent. Tears of joy, relief. My mom was a crier when we'd open a present at Christmas. So if you gave a really poignant gift, she'd just cry, you know, what do you call them, poignant tears? I don't know. <laughs> I cry when athletes give God, and particularly Jesus, the glory for their exploits. It just moves me to tears. I just love it. I do. I just love it. When you hear the hallelujah chorus, would you be moved to tears? We had a special providence this week. If you read Chris Garriott's newsletter, Chris is our ordained minister across the campus at street at the Maryland campus, working decidedly for the PCA and for Wallace, Chris sent out his end-of-the-year newsletter. I hope you read it. If you didn't get a copy of him, he's sitting right over here with Emily, his intern. Chris had, was it ministry team? Ministry team, a final you know, a, a meeting with his, his student leaders at the Silver Diner down here on, on 193 this past week. I saw the pictures, a big long table there in the Silver Diner, had a breakfast meeting. He wrote this. Little did we know that an unknown friend was listening in and watching us. When the bill came for over $200, it had been paid. I was flabbergasted to tears as we saw a beautiful picture of the gospel so tangible to us in that moment. Our brother cried of joy and thanksgiving. And thirdly, why do we cry? We cry because we're commanded to. James 4, 8, and 9. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What an amazing promise. The blessing of nearness to God. But it doesn't come cheaply. Immediately, James can't resist setting forth the terms by which that happens in a way you know that it's real. A lot of people think, oh, I'm close to God, and they really aren't. It's easy to kid yourself that you're close to God. I remember being bedside next to a lady who was dying and I was sort of trying to get the gospel in there and I asked a couple questions and she said, I've made my peace with God as if, get off my shoulders. And the truth is, if she'd made her peace with God, she would have been telling me about Jesus, the source of her peace. Some people think they have peace with God when they don't. And look, I don't know her heart. I can only hope that she did. Here's the point. We draw near to God on certain terms, his terms. James goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Whoever thought that, look, there's joy we sang about in the beautiful offertory we had. Thank you, Larry and Karen and the others. There's joy, there's also weeping in the presence of God. Why? Because of our sin. These are tears of repentance. Not I'm crying because I got because my sin makes me look bad or I got caught. Well, I don't like the negative consequences of my sin in my life. We cry those tears. That's not what James is talking about. He's talking about tears moved because our sin grieves the heart of God. It's one thing to break the law of God. It's another to grieve the heart of God and sin against His love. And if you know Jesus and are saved by the grace of Jesus, your sin ultimately is a sin against his love, his kindness, his mercy, his affection. Let's ask this question secondly. Why did Jesus cry? I think it's a good question because Jesus is born a king. As a rule, kings don't cry. They make other people cry. Kings are generally isolated or insulated from the things that make the rest of us cry. But we know for certain Jesus cried, Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. Stop and think about this picture of Jesus. Crying in prayer. Certainly Gethsemane is in mind. Other times of prayer, we'll run into another one a little bit in a minute here. Supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death and was heard because of his piety. So why does Jesus cry? I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Number one, Jesus is in touch with reality. He weeps because he feels the fallenness of this world. If you've been in your house all day, you know, your house has a certain smell or you know, kind of a certain tint, and, or you've been baking or something, and you've been in that environment, you really don't, you don't know acutely the smell of the environment until you go outside in fresh air and come back in and go, oh yeah, this is what it smells like. Jesus left, as it were, the aroma of the glory of the presence of God, pure light, pure beauty, pure truth, pure love, pure purity. And he came to the garbage dump called earth, and it stunk. This is not the world he created. It reeks with human rebellion against God. It stunk. It's amazing Jesus lasted as long as he did on this earth. It's stunning. But what an act of love. Would you go live on a putrid garbage dump for 30 years to win the people who are your enemies? This is the love of God. Jesus weeps because he's in touch with reality. It tells you that a godly response to sin is weeping. This is not the way the world is supposed to be. And, And really, it's it's the, one of the reasons why we cry. God created us with tear ducts. I'm not sure how they functioned in paradise before sin. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they're going to function when we read about later in the sermon. There's going to be no crying. I don't know. But I do know this. God has designed it so that when we are feeling the weight of a fallen world, water comes out of our eyes. It's just, it's so interesting, isn't it? Jesus' heart broke over two main things. Number one, when he's confronted with death. The classic example is the shortest verse in the Bible. It's John eleven uh, forty four. Jesus wept. There are t- two verbs used in the occasion of Jesus standing before the tomb of Lazarus, which, of course, he knows in about 45 seconds he's going to raise from the dead. Nonetheless, one verb is that Jesus snorted with anger snorted with anger and wept. So these are tears both of sadness that his friend had died, sadness that that Lazarus' relatives are grieving, all that. But Jesus is staring down the reality that the beautiful, perfect world he created has been ruined by sin, and that's why death is in this creation, and it angers him. And no doubt he's thinking about his own cross and tomb to follow. But he wept in the face of death. And you know that every time he came to a... Funeral procession, he stopped it and raised the dead. Because he's making all things new. Secondly, Jesus cried at sin-induced hardness of heart. He wept over unrepentant Jerusalem. Luke tells us in Luke 19, 41, when he approached the city, he saw it and wept over it. If you read the text, it's because they did not know the time of their visitation. They had all the scriptures, all the promises, all the clarity of the word of God. No one, you know, he told Nicodemus, you should know these things. It's in the Bible, the men on the road to Emmaus. You should know this, the sufferings and glories of Christ were so clearly predicted. It is your own hardness and fullness of heart that you don't know that Jesus is here. Jesus saw Jerusalem, the city that was to be magnifying God of all cities on the earth, and it was blind and caught in this web of rebellion against God, and he wept over its unbelief, he wept. Wouldn't that have been an amazing sight? You're walking with Jesus and he stops and he bursts into tears. Why are you crying? Did you get a rock in your sandal or something? My people did not recognize the time of their visitation. Have you heard Jesus weeping over the city of your heart? The unbelief, the pride, the bitterness, the jealousy, the lust, the, the pettiness, the criticalness that's in your heart. Has Have you heard him weep over that? And then Jesus wept to identify with us in our sorrows. Isaiah saw this coming. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Who, who would ever describe God that way? the prophet who knows who God is. Jesus will never say to you in your tears, I just don't understand. He relates to every teardrop of your sorrows, pain, sickness, and sadness. And beloved, he pronounces his blessing on your tears, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn And oftentimes, mourning is accompanied with tears. Those tears are blessed. He notices, he cares, and he's going to do something about it. You have a a picture of this, uh, just this vivid, beautiful picture of this in Psalm 56, where David says, you have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. For God... To catch your tears, he's got to come this close with his bottle. All the tears you've ever shed are stored somewhere, as it were, in the presence of Jesus. He blesses those tears. And we're promised in Psalm 126, those that sow in tears will reap in joy. When? When? That's the last point in the sermon. When will every tear be wiped away? See, when you're in sorrow, when you're crying, there's a clock ticking, right? And it's like every tear represents a a second on a stopwatch. You can't wait to go, finally. (laughs) Right? The point of being in sorrow and agony is it's gotta come to an end. That's what the psalmist is crying out. How long? How long we don't enjoy as human beings being in misery and sorrow. We weren't made for it. We shouldn't enjoy it. And we have this picture in Revelation that the saints who were martyred for their love for Jesus are before the throne of God crying out what? How long do you avenge our blood? And he is going to. Oh, it matters. How long? And you get snapshots of this through the prophet's in ancient Israel, snapshots of the future that answer the question, when, when is all this going to be wiped away forever? Isaiah 25.8, he will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove the reproach of his people from the earth. Can you imagine anything better I don't have a TV really, but I've seen a couple of commercials this Christmas season. And it used to be that the car commercials where somebody bought a car for their spouse and you go out in the driveway and there's the big ribbon on the car. I can't imagine giving my spouse a car for Christmas. I couldn't, have, I just, it's like, what world are they living in? But ne- nevertheless, now the, now the commercials are two cars, right? Marty bought one for Judy, Judy bought one for Marty. Two cars in the driveway with big ribbons on them. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna trump that. Come on out, Janice, Merry Christmas. I'm going to give you Amazon, UPS, IBM, and I'm going to give you ownership of four or five companies. Oh, I've got an island for you down here in the Caribbean. I'm just going to give you that for Christmas. And I'm going to give you three of your personal jets. Can you trump that? Yeah. Merry Christmas. I'm going to swallow up death. I will destroy death. That. That is one heck of a Christmas present. He will swallow up the shroud. Michael Seifert explained this so beautifully at the memorial service we had this week as he preached the homily. Jesus Christ has the ability to take the shroud of death over all of creation and swallow it, do away with it, and see, any Bible-believing Jew reading these words of Isaiah would be, would be thinking what? When? How long? I mean, if you want to lay a word over all of the Old Testament, it's this, anticipation, anticipation. When? How long? It's forward-looking. It's the bud. The New Testament is the flower. We're looking at the bud. We're looking at the bud. When is the flower coming? It's kind of the Old Testament. And if you were a true biblical thinker, you would also know that there is a tension involved in this. Because the promise is he will remove the reproach of his people. What is that? That's the guilt and condemnation of your sin. We're all born into this world and we live any time in this world. We are cloaked in reproach. We're guilty. We're filthy in God's sight. We're alienated from God. We are sinners, helpless to help ourselves. Who can remove the reproach? I mean, that's really your biggest problem. Give yourself a Christmas present. Find a way to get rid of the reproach of your sin. If you listen for three more minutes, you'll know the answer. Or let's put it this way, Isaiah 51.11, so the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, everlasting joy will be on their heads, I want that for Christmas, everlasting joy, and they will obtain gladness and joy, sorrow and sighing will flee away. Again, what's the question if you're an Old Testament believer? When? How? What's the answer? Look at the text. What's the answer? You must be ransomed. That means purchased by someone out of slavery to sin, the devil, and death. You don't have enough money. You don't have the moral capital. I don't have the moral capital. Who can deliver us from the power of the curse? This is what Jesus Christ was born to do on the cross to take your reproach in his body on the cross to remove the guilt and condemnation and filthiness of your sin. God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is what Jesus has done on the cross. He removed your reproach. And in the resurrection, swallowed up death. What should you do about that? Cry out for grace. Isaiah 30, 18 and 19. O people of Zion, you will weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Now This is what we call in theology the already but not yet. He's already started to wipe our tears by promising us forgiveness and salvation and righteousness in Jesus. But every tear has not been wiped away, yet we still live in a fallen world. And so the prophet saw a time when every tear will be wiped away. Isaiah 65 Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. Be glad, rejoice forever in what I create. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. 500 years later, the Apostle John in exile on the Isle of Patmos picks up this very verse. And in this vision of the future writes this, Revelation 7, The Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd. He shall guide them to springs of the water of life, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a picture. Salty tears exchanged for the water of life. Maybe every time we drink in the new heavens and the new earth, the water of life, we'll think, Was there something called tears way back then? (laughs) He will wipe them away. What tenderness what intimacy. God right? parents understand this when kids cry you're there wiping it there's virtually nothing more intimate and then Revelation 21 3-4 the text we began with the culmination of history I heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the tabernacle of God is among men just like it was in the paradise in the garden before the sin God dwelt with men now we are finishing that The difference is there's no possibility of forfeiting the promise of God. No possibility of sin. There'll be no tears. No one can come in and disrupt the presence of God with his people. It is sealed forever, fixed, firm. (laughs) And they will be his people. God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Now, as soon as that happens, can we imagine a collective cry from all of God's people saying what? Finally! (laughs) Finally! And praise Jesus. Really. Praise Jesus. Jesus, because God can only dwell among us if Jesus Christ has come in the incarnation to cleanse us of our sin. God can only dwell among us and wipe away every tear only because Jesus Christ has made you touchable by clothing you in his righteousness by a holy God. And he will wipe away every tear as an act of justice, rendering retribution to those who have hurt his people. So really the hymn should say, and no crying we will make. One minute to answer the question, what should you do with this sermon? So far it's just been a theology of crying. What should you do with it? Paul tells us, Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. It's an invitation to hear people's stories, to listen, cry with them, Cry your tears and let them love you. Listen, enter in, share God's promises, and weep. Knowing these are all going to be gone. Let's pray. The weeping God, Jesus, there is no doubt from your holy word that you identify with all of our sorrows. Thank you that our God wept, and yet our God rejoices over us because you've made us beautiful in your sight through Jesus. You have cleansed us. You are delivering us. You will finally bring us to the place of your presence, and how could there be crying or sorrow or pain in your presence, for that is the summa bonum of human existence. It is the supreme good to be in the presence of God. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and until you do, catch our our tears in your bottle and use each of us to be an agent of your compassion and love as we weep with those who weep. In Jesus' name, amen.